All right. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like, I'm really excited. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. I listened to the first one and the second episode, and it, like I said, it reminded me so much of when we used to hang out and the conversations that we used to have. I got mm -hmm. nostalgic as fuck. I was... <laughs> And so I just listening to it, I, like I was like, I'm just hanging out with my friends. <laughs> it was so. Cool. I love that. I'm so glad because, like, I don't know. I felt like when we were younger, you kept wanting to have like these deep, big conversation, and like I just my brain couldn't handle. Like I just wasn't articulate enough. I never understood what you were talking about, <laughs> and so uh, it made me really happy when you reached out because I'm like, oh hell yeah, I think I can actually have a good conversation with him now. <laughs> You know what's nuts is I really feel like, for one thing, I was way too arrogant and I really had no clue what I was saying. And the second thing was, is that like, I feel like we, correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like we kind of had some competition going between the two of us. Like we definitely drove each other to be better, I think. Oh, I can definitely see that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and like where, where you say you had arrogance, like... I, I could kind of see that, but I feel like even when I've started to develop this ability to like talk to people about big concepts, I've been super arrogant or like just or ignorant as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like it just takes me talking to people and being told that I'm being dumb in order for me to learn and get better at it. And so like don't don't beat yourself up for thinking that you were <laughs> arrogant because like uh, it's probably good for you. Right. Well, and I think that you can fall victim to the spotlight effect where mm. you you're so preoccupied in what you're saying and what words you're using and i think you just I, at least for me i i i kind of fall in love with the sound of my own voice and i gotta mm. just be like okay is this landing is any of this actually making sense because if not, I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> you know? I feel like I, I I relate to that so much. Like lately, I'll just start like ranting at people because I'm like, man, I sound so smart. And then they'll they'll just be like, Nathan, you're uh, like none of this is reaching me. Like you're just kind of annoying me now. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> awesome. Oh man. Oh, you know what's so funny though? Um, so like the other day, I was I was thinking about. There was this time where you and I were hanging out and I remember we, I don't know how, but we got on the conversation of like God. And this is when we were like, I don't know, maybe like 13 or 14. And at one point you were like, well, I think I am God. And I was like, oh my, what? And I like, I got terrified. I was like, oh no, he's like a megalomaniac. He's just like, he's everything. And then like, now I'm starting, I feel like I'm starting to realize what you were actually talking about. I don't know if that's what you were, if what you were getting at, at that age was like, oh no, we are all God and I am also God and a reflection of God. Do you feel like you, that's what you were saying at that age? You know, I was definitely approaching something that I didn't understand uh, mm -hmm. because no one can understand completely a omniscient, omnipresent being that's responsible for the creation of the universe, right? I mean, oh, that's, still, this, that's still true today. I, I think about that a lot, how if such an entity were to exist, mm -hmm. it's, it's an exercise in futility that we'd even be able to, uh, even an attempt to conceptualize the enormity of such a being uh would be futile mm -hmm. and so i i think uh 
I'm, you know, I'm kind of in the same position that I was, but the statement of, I think I am God <laughs> yeah. know, is actually, uh, I think accurate in that if a being did exist like that, then everything that is the product of such a being would carry like a piece of it. All of us would be an extension. 100%. Yeah. Of that being. Yeah. And I actually really agree with that, which is why I'm actually looking back on that situation very fondly now because I'm like, oh, I feel like he was trying to tell me something and I was just like more scared or afraid of what I thought he was talking about. Because at the time I could only conceptualize God as this, uh, you know, big man in the sky who would, you know, strike me down as he caught me masturbating, you know? <laughs> so like at the time I was like, whoa, Casey thinks he's that guy. What is happening? <laughs> but I feel like exactly what you said is more accurate and i'm actually seeing that now just the idea that like the the real notion of god has to be something that encapsulates or has created everything and if i'm a product of that or i am a part of that then i am a part of god mm -hmm. in any in some way especially where i think that like any of the the boundaries that we've created in this existence to create a self i think of those as just illusions or you know temporary tools for our situation um mm -hmm. I, I i think of those in that way so i really see everything all at once as god and so therefore since i'm a part of that since i'm here i am god i'm just right. not that uh pouty child in the sky that's wanting the universe to bend to my will <laughs> right right like the jealous god the god that mm -hmm. you know punishes his people for 40 years for mm -hmm. uh making a golden cow one time or two i don't know, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly it's like guys i really hate so, that cow. it's gotta go <laughs> exactly it's just that concept never made sense to me so um, I, I want. I just wanted to bring that up during this podcast because I really felt like um, I'm starting to catch on to the things that you had always tried to talk to me about. When you were oh, younger. well, you know, I'm glad I made an impression. You know, <laughs> all those years. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> you definitely made an impression. Hundred <laughs> percent. I'm so glad. <laughs> and Probably not in the way I was wanting to, but yes. <laughs> I uh, to speak on that further. I really think that. Um, that there is a an awakening a, a religious awakening happening right now i'm sure you've seen mm -hmm. more than one article about um the rise of the nuns the uh demographic of people that are uh self-identifying is non non-affiliated with any religion like non-practicing mm -hmm. any religion they, they, they yeah. make up um more than half of all americans at this point you know not yeah not, not just and and i think that the it's not that they're losing touch with faith or their a belief system but i think they're seeing that i'm not having there's no benefit to an organized religion or, or, or participating in an organized religion mm -hmm. and definitely and i feel like the people that are participating in an organized religion are kind of they're kind of slowly, they're just half in, half out from what I've seen. It's like, oh, this gives me a sense of community, but a lot of the tenants that are like really um, dominating in my life, I'm just not going to really pay attention to or I'll just ignore kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely am seeing that. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm, I'm a religious, I go to, I practice my religion 
as I'm obligated to, but that's not that's that's not my identity. I don't identify as a religious mm -hmm. person, right? I'm, yeah. I'm simply obligated to yeah. participate, as I think mm -hmm. the attitude a lot of people have. And I, what I think is so important about that is that individualism was not really adopted by religion. You know, like mm -hmm. as part of your religion, you kind of you become part of a community and you, you assimilate and you kind of lose your individualism. Like, of course, mm -hmm. the being that you worship knows you personally and loves you personally. But uh, you have to follow the rules that everyone else follows and you have to do what everyone else does. And basically, mm -hmm. you know, depending on the religion, repeat verbatim what everyone else is saying in order to, yeah. uh, you know, achieve the transcendence of said religion, right? <laughs> and so, uh, mm -hmm. and, and like, you know, I, I really want to be clear. I don't have anything against religious people or religion mm -hmm. in general. I just think that, it's out of touch. It's like a vestigial uh, system that uh, needs to adapt to modern society and, and who we are. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, so, it's kind of interesting that you say that, though. Oh, sorry. So, like, when you say that it the that religion isn't very individualistic in nature, it um, it's really interesting because we like our culture and our society are very individualistic and people are still having to be a part of those be a part of both and try to incorporate them together and i think it's just causing a lot of cognitive dissonance for them and so i, I kind of see what you're getting at where we're starting to see people reject organized religion because of that probably mm -hmm. absolutely i uh, one one example of that is uh and w once again, I, I really don't mean to detract or, or, or talk about any religion in a negative light. You know, everyone deserves to dictate their own religion and belief system. But mm -hmm. but uh, watching the the struggles of that um, uh, LDS bishop who was trying to achieve reform within the LDS community about uh, um, I'm sure you've heard of him. You know, the the one on one interviews yeah, like interviews with children. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. You know that you know a, a fairly innocuous uh, attempt at reform. You know, he wasn't. He mm -hmm. he was very clear. He was not against anything. He wasn't speaking out against anything. He was like, let's just improve on this, right? Let's just make it safe. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he was met with a lot of resistance, and I think he ended up getting excommunicated. He right? got excommunicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, so, that, you, that was so interesting. Mm -hmm. it's just that they're so resistant to change and reform of any kind uh mm -hmm. i think unless we'll, it's top down right right well I, and it'll ultimately be the downfall of organized religion as we know it i mean i don't think it'll ever end but it'll definitely transform itself yeah and it's like i think the way it has to transform is it has to understand that it really can't be this like uh, this built ideology that everyone has to operate within because there's just so many, everybody is having individual lives and individual experiences that are so different. And if this dogma is trying to put you in a box and say, this is how you should be experiencing the world, it's just not going to last. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think where it, like, I don't want to disparage any religions either, but it's like the spiritual experience is individual in nature. 
it ha like you have to come to terms with your own spirituality, your own essence of being. And so if it's kind of being force fed to you in a way that you can't question, it's just not going to be sustainable in mm -hmm. people's lives. Right, right. It's, it's incredibly reductive to say, mm -hmm. follow these rules, put together this little life uh, with all of these mm -hmm. pieces, right, right? Like I, I, I literally imagine a manufacturing line where like yeah. they tell you like hey just stick this thing yeah. in this socket your whole life and you're going to you're mm -hmm. going to make it man <laughs> like that's it yeah <laughs> and it just and it just doesn't foster well-being i don't think growth <laughs> yeah yeah it, it sort of feels stagnant like uh you know i've i've listened to Terence McKenna talk about like ideology and one of the things he says he's like i don't know why if you're going to subscribe to an ideology, I don't even know why they issued you a brain because it's telling you this is everything that it is. You already know everything. There's no point in trying to learn more unless it's within this specific framework. And even then, that framework has to say we know everything. Mm -hmm. And then when new discoveries come out, it has to be like, yeah, we knew that all along or like, <laughs> you know, it's it just doesn't compute. And I can definitely see where that just doesn't it doesn't cultivate well-being because mm -hmm. it's not cultivating growth right right yeah yeah i i, I agree 100 and that's honestly i know you love russell brand so i'm just gonna plug russell brand here <laughs> like, because, oh please do <laughs> <laughs> but he, in his book revolution he actually kind of prompted me to rediscover religion because he talks mm -hmm. about I, have you have you read that book yet yeah, I did because you, t you awesome. said like, hey, he's got some good ideas for revolution. And dude, it, I loved it so much. <laughs> That's amazing. I, well, he talks about religion in such a loving way and such mm -hmm. a conscious way where he, you know, he talks about the symbolism of the cross and mm -hmm. he talks about how... Uh, he, specifically Christ, because I, I think that's more in his wheelhouse, is... Uh, mm -hmm it's it's like a multi-dimensional be like it's it's layered you know like you have you have the a mm -hmm. person that existed at this time in this place but then you also have the representation and the symbolism that that he's grown to capture and uh anyway with russell brand dude i just i love how nothing is simple with him he's always got something mm -hmm. to say <laughs> Yes, and he allows for nuance, which is, like, really important, um, right. especially when it comes to religion. Because, like, one of the things that, like, really reawakened a spiritual sense within me from listening to Russell Brand is just his, like, the concept of, like, we need to start taking what's good from all these religions instead of, like, only paying attention to what's bad and then, like, rejecting them for that. Mm -hmm. And just that, like, shift in thought for me has allowed me to, like, build better relationships with my religious friends mm -hmm. because I'm able to say, like, I understand where you're coming from. I just don't, you know, maybe agree with the way that you are interpreting or painting the world or the universe. Mm -hmm. But being able to see, like, oh, I know that you're sourcing your spirituality from the same place that I am and just using it in a different way, that's, like, it allows me to connect with them and build meaningful relationships there. Yeah, and you know what that is? Is that's just the same mindset that you wish that they would have, right? Like all you yeah, want to be is exactly. accepted, right? So if you accept them, you're like, that's just Gandhi's teaching right there. Like be the change. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, why is it so simple, but yet so hard for so many people? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I know, man. But like, it's, cr 
I, I do think that there's value in Christianity. I think there's value in mm. every religion. Uh, I, I've been reading a lot of, uh, I, I, I read a lot. I, I read a book and a half on Buddhism, <laughs> so I'm no expert. Mm. But uh, one of the things that struck me was that they were like, you don't have, it, it's basically like a pick your plan type of deal where like you can incorporate yeah. some values from Buddhism yeah. into your life. What, or you can, you know, become a monk. Like it's, it's totally mm -hmm. up to you. Which was so refreshing to hear oh, from a religion, <laughs> you know? Right? Just yeah, like, I've kind of heard that with Buddhism. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like a choose your own adventure. It's like if these principles are not benefiting you or creating well-being in your life, reject them. Like you don't have to cling <laughs> on to these and then believe that everything else is falls because of it. It's sort of just guidelines, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they, it's a religion and with any religion, you know, stuff that's written down is misinterpreted or, mm -hmm. uh, taken to the extreme and you end up with some eccentric people, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I think that as a philosophy, it is incredible and it, it's it's going to change mm -hmm. the way if, if if you read into it, it it'll definitely change the way that you think because it it totally removes the concept of um I, I i think it's it's not the antithesis of the hero's journey because like mm -hmm. you do have buddha and you do have him discovering this whole and starting this whole religion right so he's kind of the mm -hmm a catalyst for this change right so so you kind of can't help yeah. but to worship uh, feel like worshiping buddha be like wow that's the guy that figured it mm -hmm. out you know he's the he's yeah. the einstein yeah. of buddhism you know <laughs> but mm -hmm. but he even said that like buddha is like like it shouldn't be focused on me like i'm not buddha buddha is more than me and 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 buddhism talks about a lot of that like like all of us are connected to buddha we can all become buddha it's it's very anti-central it's decentralized uh, de decentralized yeah um I've, I've actually heard that a lot about it it's like I, I can see how it'd be easy to um you know try to worship buddha when he he, he is this template for enlightenment so but i feel like buddhism is like aware that it, he really can't be a perfect template because everybody's lives are going to be unique and different and so we can't like worship him and be like oh we have to copy his behaviors and his beliefs like to to a t we have <laughs> right. to actually we have to take these teachings incorporate them in our lives and evaluate them from there mm -hmm. and they'll even go so far as to and once i'm no expert and if i miss representing buddhism i truly apologize but uh yeah some, some things that i've seen is or that i've read is that they will they'll give you a a paradoxical concept and a really really popular one is like what is the sound of one hand clapping you know mm. and my friend when i asked him that he was just like oh it's this and then he like flapped his fingers really fast <laughs> into his palm like <laughs> he had mastered one hand <laughs> clapping i was like, like see oh, i can do it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but uh just i just ruined my object <laughs> lesson well okay <laughs> seriously i was like all right cool um he uh what it what it means to do though i think what they're attempting to do is is they're trying to say that like there's there there doesn't necessarily need an objective 
right? And 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 these these mm. these paradoxes, these like problems of the mind that have no solution, are supposed to show you that there is no solution. It's all here. This is the solution. Ooh, Ooh I love that. Contemplation is the solution. That, yeah, that's beautiful. Like that was that's something that just became really important for me when I like I, I started meditating, and a lot of the um, the teachings from meditation include just that, like. Um, accepting yourself as you are right now, because that like the present moment is all there is, right? This is, mm -hmm. this is the ultimate reality, the present moment. And by constantly chasing a goal, you're, you're never actually accepting the moment that you're in. So therefore, when you actually reach that end goal, it, you almost can't even fully appreciate it because you've never learned how to appreciate every moment that led up to it. Right. Um, and so I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing that, like, you talk about goal acquisition, and essentially mm -hmm. what that is is it's it's an imposition of will. You, you've yeah. you've chosen a, you've chosen something to achieve, and then you've achieved it. And mm -hmm. um, that kind of rabbit hole of of thought for me um, has kind of led me to think that there are basically the mechanism for whatever your goal is so like like i don't know it it's like i watch a youtube video let me start from the beginning <laughs> i watch a youtube video called <laughs> rules for the rulers it's it's amazing mm -hmm. have, you, have you ever heard of it no okay it's uh basically a historical perspective on how rulers come into power and how they maintain power and mm. the idea is that uh a ruler must allocate resources and and basically create relationships with uh, pillars of the state, which is generally like uh, you know banks, uh, security, or, or military, and okay. and like administration, right, standing government or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they have to create these relationships with those people, but uh, achieving power and maintaining power require different. Um, relationships and Abilities different and skill sets yeah yeah mechanisms of control right and so mm. uh what the the problem is is that they they build these mechanisms to achieve power but those same mechanisms are not useful when they uh, uh, when they're actually in power like the maintaining power and so they end up and and that's why it, what that really showed me is that power isn't a object it's not something that can be mm. hoarded or, or, or uh it's it's actually like a like electricity is how i see it and you're yeah, just like a, maintained and, and routed almost yeah yeah exactly and like you're just a vessel you know and uh, that's yeah. why i think like we look at napoleon or we look at other leaders and we th we think that like wow what did that guy have that made him so special well he, he mm. just he saw a vacuum, you know, like, yeah, there was an opportunity there and he seized that opportunity. But at that, as soon as he became a conduit of power, literally, <laughs> I just, that's kind of a pun, but <laughs> like, you know, yeah, conduit of power. <laughs> <laughs> but once he became that, he actually is a, it's like a non-voluntary position at that point. Like there's nothing he can do. The mm. power is just traveling through him at that point. Interesting, because of the structures that he created through that 
And then, but so then how would he be maintaining that power? Would he still have to be creating structures to maintain that? Or you're saying that once he sort of put himself in that position, he's um, now a byproduct of it? He is, he is trapped in that position. Mm. So how do you maintain power? By whatever means necessary. That's the only correct uh -huh. answer to that question, right? Uh -huh. Just think about it. Like once you once you have it, once you have control, you can't relinquish it. And that's that's why one of my favorite teachings from Christ, you know, <laughs> is that uh -huh. is that it's harder for a rich person to get into heaven than it is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Like you've heard that before, right? Wow, I have not actually. Oh, it's awesome. It's it's a good one. Because this guy, this this rich dude, he came to Jesus. He's like, hey, I want to get into heaven. What should I do? And he's like, well, it's not going to be easy. <laughs> That's basically what he yeah. says. Yeah. And um, what, I, what I learned from that, just my interpretation, is that once you have control, once you've developed that kind of controlling relationship with your environment, or like a social control, because that's one of the most powerful types, uh, relinquishing it, realizing that you're not special that it's not you that your power your control is not who you are relinquishing that is the hardest decision ever yeah that's insane uh, actually that makes me think of um one of russell brand's uh guests on the podcast um and i i'm totally spacing on his name right now but he he was talking about because he was in this high level government position in greece and one of the things that he saw while he was uh, operating within that system is he was like, they don't actually hold any power. All of the power that they have is confined within their position, within their role. Mm -hmm. And and that defines all of the power that they have because, um, because they could be replaced at any minute. And that position will be filled and that will just maintain the structure of power that's already there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's... That's kind of interesting to me, especially that the whole concept of how do you maintain power by any means necessary? <laughs> it's just trying to maintain that position that you are a vessel for. Right, right. You become serious. I truly believe, and Russell Brand taught me this: that that rich, well, uh, you know, the super rich are victims of their own aspirations, their own or uh, oh, their yeah. own desperate, their, their own wealth. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because think and, and the. You know, I didn't drive a car until, or I, I didn't buy a car until I was uh, 22, 23. Uh, during college, I, I took public transit. I love public transit. Everyone should do it. Uh, mm -hmm. Once I had a car, though, like the idea of not having a car becomes so difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you, you create your life, you curate your life around it. Right, right. It's like all of a sudden, all of everything having to do with transportation becomes much much easier and much less stressful because you don't it doesn't require as much forethought and i for me that's i always kind of remind myself of that that like hey casey like you you're so ideological you think that power corrupts right it is so easily mm -hmm. corrupts but like look at you in your car you know as soon as you bought a car there was no looking back you're not taking the bus anymore you're not walking anywhere <laughs> you know it's that's, like that's so interesting <laughs> right well and like you would just take it for granted and you know i i hate i don't want to be like one of those woke people that's like oh hey like ditch all your stuff go be a nomad you know go be part of the land mm -hmm. but um uh, 
you know, it's it's an illustration of how easily control uh, corrupts and and like just yeah. solidifies your position in your world and your relationship with the world. Yeah, and I think the the problem is is that like once we are put in that like position of power of having a car, um, you kind of you're forced, like we said, you're forced to try to maintain that, um, and that even though at any point you could just like your car could get totaled and then you don't have a car anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So. I like I understand not wanting to be woke and be like, oh, everybody needs to ditch their car because like we all are like clinging to these comforts. But if like if we were able to prioritize like something that's actually truly more meaningful to us, like connection, love, and our interpersonal relationships and stuff, and we'd be more afraid of losing those than the car that like makes life a little <laughs> convenient and easier for us. Like mm -hmm. I just I see it's not necessarily going to have to be like, oh, we're going to have to rip your car from you tooth and nail. It's more like, no, I found something that's more valuable. I found something that's more valuable than all this power and wealth that I've attained. Because in the end, all I was ever doing was trying to maintain it and grow it rather than using it for things that I actually find valuable, like my love and my connections within my life. So I think, I think that's a really cool example. <laughs> of where yes it's convenient and yes it allows you to do so many other things but if we're if we're wanting to actually prioritize better things in our life and cultivate a society and a culture that is be way more fulfilling for us then we have to not be afraid of losing these comforts and losing this power that we have because um, i think about that too like i've been talking with my friends and stuff about how we could possibly change the world and one of the things i'm like talking about is like well we need to we need to democratize agriculture we need to be growing our own food and not be like reliant on you know imported food and one of the things i talk about is like wow you really want to give up like a hamburger you want to give up like all this delicious food and i like when i sit there and think i'm like oh, well no i don't but i'm like but i'm what i'm prioritizing over that is the ability to be free and like and developing relationships with other people and cultivating um you know an ecologically sustainable world instead of prioritizing these comforts and seeking to maintain them by whatever means possible right right yeah it it's it it requires a cultural shift i think is what you're describing mm -hmm. because yeah like you say and like russell brand says like the power we have the power we have all of the power mm -hmm. all of the time like we we voluntarily participate in this clusterfuck <laughs> of a universe, yeah. world, <laughs> and uh, exactly. <laughs> but like, if we so so, it's not even a we don't even have to change reality. We just have to change how we view it, and and the answers are simple. And there's it's like when your parents said like eat your vegetables, like you forgot mm -hmm. that. But it turns out after like hundreds of scientific studies that, yeah, guess what? You want to eat your vegetables, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so here we are think, wondering to ourselves, like, man, where are all these problems coming from? And it's like, because we've been seduced by the short term and the convenient. And I think the auto industry is, is actually a mm -hmm. perfect example of that because, you know, check, look at Japan, look at uh, Europe. You know, they, they invested in their public transit systems and they're, you know, 
benefiting as a community from that. Like, I, I think that public mm -hmm. transit is an enormously democratizing part of any society. It, it brings mm -hmm. us all, it lifts us all up. And in America, you know, we had a, a, a all of our public transit was purposefully um, destroyed because yeah, of the uh, car industry, the automobile industry, you know, mm -hmm. General Motors. And uh, we're, we're, we're reaping the benefits of that, aren't we? Capitalism. Yeah, <laughs> man. And it's like, I'm also wondering, is is the reason that we that we are overlooking these simple solutions because we're really not willing to look at those aspects of ourselves? Like, I don't know, like if we say like, oh yeah, we, we can all agree and understand that cars are bad for the environment, but I'm not willing to relinquish my ownership of a car because I don't see myself as the problem. I really see like the auto industry as a problem or I, like just the way that people are able to push it off of <laughs> themselves and say like, well, I know everybody should eat their vegetables, but nobody else is either, you know? And so that's the problem. Do you think that's what's causing us to overlook these simple solutions? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, I, I talked to my friend about this uh, in college and uh, oh, you know, forgive me. I forgot his name, but he was, he was this amazing guy and I didn't appreciate him. Uh, we, we, we had an architecture class together and he, he was super into or open source uh, operating systems. Like he would not use mm -hmm. windows. He would not use Apple operating systems at all. Like this guy was like hardcore so awesome. ideological and he was a vegan too. He roasted his own coffee beans. Like, I wanted, I wanted to like worship this guy. <laughs> you know? How are people so cool? <laughs> I know, dude. Exactly. And um, I asked him. He was vegan, and I was like, "Hey, man, like, you, you and I both know people. We both know that the majority of people aren't going to go vegan, and not enough people are going to make this change. So why? What, what, what's the point of me doing it?" And he was like, "Well, there's." I, I see a choice in that statement. One is that you live in an environment that does that, or you align yourself with an environment that doesn't like a society that doesn't mm. like, like you have to believe that tomorrow's going to be different and better or it won't. Mm. And I love that so much. Yeah, dude. And he actually convinced me to be pescatarian. Like I've been, awesome. like I've been pescatarian this whole time, which of course is barely anything. And like, you shouldn't applaud me for that. Like mm. it's not, it's like, honestly, it was a long time coming because I ate like shit before that. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> That's all just self-preservation. But like, anyway, it's it struck me, dude. And so I think that like, yes, a drop in an ocean is just that, but the ocean is just drops of water, right? So it's mm -hmm. got to start somewhere. I really like that, especially in regards to veganism, because like, it, I sort of kept telling myself that too. I'm like, yeah, when I look at, you know, my beliefs about like factory farming, when I look at my beliefs about what, what it would actually look like if the entire world was eating as much meat as I do on a daily basis and understanding like the ecological impacts of that. When I look at that, I'm like, oh, that like, I agree that I should be vegan. I want to be vegan. But then I'm like, but then I always counter it with, oh, but, you know, no one, I'm not going to convince anyone to be vegan, so I don't see the point in it. And then I guess this conversation really shows me, like, 
why does that have to be the deciding factor? Because it really should be, or I really want it to be that it's meaningful to me. I'm aligning myself with my values. And then I can actually start to see a reality that's built around those values, mostly because I'm participating in a community that's also embodying those values. But then we can like, we can actually start to see that change that we actually are telling ourselves is not going to be there anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. So I like that. Yeah, it, it definitely, it's, it, it always just starts with one person. And that, that sounds like such a, like a, you know. Well, it's true. Cop out. 100%. But, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. But like, it really does. I don't know. I, I, I think that we are a lot more nature than we think that we are. Like, like oh, yeah. we, we, we treat issues like pollution and, and, uh, like all of the ecological issues, like as, as if they're, um, new, but like I was reading about how, um, at one point in early earth, uh, like ancient history, not, not even history, but like, you know, there, there was a back before the dinosaurs, the, the, the entire planet mm. was covered in trees and it was like trees growing on top of trees. And like most of that is why we have a uh, coal is from that era. Um, because really? yeah, so the trees, like literally trees would die and then trees would go out of those trees and they just keep dying and stuff. And then, um, there, there was no bacteria or no microorganism that could, uh, pro, uh, break down, I believe it was uh, cellulose, although I could be wrong. Um, either mm -hmm. way, the point is, is that, uh, a bacteria evolved that could. So basically all of this biomatter that trees had produced became edible for this bacteria. The bacteria went, ran rampant, killed all of the trees or, you know, a, enough of the trees on the entire planet. And the product of that is all of the iron deposits in the soil and the oxygen rich atmosphere was all of that bacteria. Holy cow. But they literally killed themselves doing it. Those bacteria, like, they're not around and, or maybe they, their, their, descendants are, but the, the point of that is, is that like you have this single living organism that basically terraformed the planet and like, you know, we're, they're calling this scene, the, the, I think it's a plastic scene, the plasticine, because uh -huh. we're, we're creating this chemical compound plastic that's never existed before on earth. And we'll be able to this plastic is, is being distributed everywhere, like at the bottom of the ocean and the trees and us, everything, you know? And yeah. so, so we, that's how we'll be identified, you know, billions of years into the future by like this oh. weird chemical thing that we just created, you know, spontaneously. <laughs> oh, it's like, I kind of hate that just because I'm seeing like all the problems that that's causing now for our environment and for like all the other species trying to live here. Um, but it's, it's interesting to frame it in that way, because maybe at the time that this bacteria was forming, all the trees were like, fuck, we're going to die, you know? Like, <laughs> this bacteria is evil. <laughs> but in reality, it was just it was just paving the way for something completely new. Right. That's so interesting. Holy cow. And I, I, I probably used all the wrong words there, but go look it up, you listeners, all, all three of you. <laughs> You know, yes <laughs> mom probably me later i'll go look it up be like case you yes <laughs> oh i that's super interesting though because like yeah i i feel like when when talking about like climate change and everything like that i feel like it especially on the left it sort of has to be phrased as like 
we are the only species that has ever like changed the planet in this way. And so that just right there already like shows me something new. And I can actually look at sort of the solutions that we have to come up with mm-hmm. um, and understand them from a new point of, new point of view, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, it's just it's just healthy to maintain perspective, right? Like we're all just natural. Yeah. We're just creatures, you know. Like we're we're like termites. Mm-hmm. We 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 process the environments that we're in, and and like one thing that blew my mind. I don't mean to just make this a mind blowing podcast, but uh, the no, the concept, it's our, it's fine. This is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the concept of cooking food, you know, mm-hmm. basically creating a chemical reaction outside of your body to then consume the, the product of that reaction. You're, so you're basically, mm-hmm. it reminds me of flies, how they like vomit onto surfaces and then like suck up the, the vomit because like they basically digest their food outside of their bodies. So it, that's I what did we're not doing. know that. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. So that's what we're doing. When we cook food, we're basically just digesting it partially outside of the body and then eating it and digesting it that's so wild that's that's an interesting way to think of it because like a lot of um a lot of evolutionary biologists will look at the way that when we started cooking food that's kind of what they believe is what jump-started like the doubling in size of the human brain um and just like all of the genetic changes that came from that yeah um terence mckenna likes to say that it was from uh eating mushrooms um And that was like in- increasing consciousness. It was uh, increasing mm-hmm. libido, and it was increasing like visual acuity and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but other scientists are like, "Yeah, it could have been a factor." But one of the biggest things that we're looking at right now is when humans started to cook their food. Um, it it may have been maybe those two things together may have been like the fact the thing that mm-hmm. created this human level of consciousness that we're experiencing right now. Yeah, I would totally agree. I mean, the domestication mm-hmm. of plants, 100%. Oh, yeah. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think a precursor to that would be how to, because, you know, plants have like natural defense mechanisms, you know, like there's a reason you can't just mm-hmm. eat a raw potato or eat a raw bean. It's because it'll yeah. make you sick yeah. and your stomach can't mm-hmm. process, uh, digest that. So, so yeah, I, I, I think that, and that's why I love looking back at like early earth stuff and like history because mm-hmm. to me it's it's less about the importance of the events and more about the process the patterns that you see and i i mean mm-hmm. that's not a new thing to say but but i i think there are trends that exist that uh kind of are over they're taken for granted right like eating yeah, cooking food yeah. you don't think about that shit you just do it mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and honestly, we we are products of those trends, and those trends will continue whether we know it or not. Right? We're we're kind of um, constantly creating these new trends, and if we're able to look back and see these patterns, uh, it it just gives us this new perspective that is really important, especially in determining on how we want to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's super valuable, and I like that. I did. I did have a question for you. Yeah. Uh, Black Lives Matter. What do you, what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I'm amazed that it's like a controversial statement mm-hmm. <laughs> that you know Black Lives Matter. I understand like 
the maybe the emotional and social political weight that comes behind that phrase but um it's it's kind of hard to say because like i i agree with the movement i i do believe that the police state is um is just sort of practiced to see black people as a threat and that has negatively influenced the black community immensely and like it's sad that i wasn't able to really fully understand this until i saw a video of a man with a cop's knee on his neck on the back mm. of you know on his back for nine minutes mm. and then and then there was just this flood of understanding from everybody finally speaking out and uh, you know i kept hearing like oh this isn't new we just now have cameras to view it you know mm -hmm. and then i also i've been uh, really into or i started getting into like rap and specifically childish gambino and awesome. uh, you know, nice. came out with this is america yeah yes. around that time and so like i just kind of got more immersed in seeing that new perspective and um i just i want in a lot of ways i want to know what i can do because it's kind of hard you know as as a as a white guy it's like mm -hmm. I, I don't want to inject myself into that space and right. say like oh i need to be the hero now you know it's like mm -hmm. i just want to do my part yeah yeah i and like i've, I've been consuming a lot of media that supports and and kind of reinforces the the motivation behind black lives matter specifically i read you know the mm -hmm. new jim crow very popular oh, yeah. book and um i also read uh it was on oprah's list of books to read the um cast uh, the origins of our discontent mm. which discusses uh basically modern the the issue of race uh in in, in modern day life you know how how, how, mm -hmm. how it's how, the issues that it's causing and I, I i i'm mentioning both of those books because uh cast and the origins of our discontent was kind of did not really mention mass incarceration which which okay. i was surprised because you know i was i had just finished reading the new jim crow which came out in 2010 and mm -hmm. then i read this new book that came out in 2020 and and you know it didn't really seem to mention it at all and uh i mean you know the new jim crow actually addresses that which is funny yeah it addresses how uh, a lot of contemporary media will address racial issues but it won't address mass incarceration it's like they're and and i think the reason is is that it's easy to dehumanize a criminal oh it's yeah so easy i mean look at look at the trial going on right now you know mm -hmm. why is there a trial i mean obviously i know why there's a trial but like the fact that it's getting so much attention is because mm -hmm. you know we want to because it's driving. We want to see justice for what happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think so many people are looking for an excuse to stick to the status quo, to stick to the trend, to be like, oh, that there it is. That's why this man died. You know, it's not because of mm -hmm. this social issue or this race issue. It's because uh, of whatever this triviality. Because there were drugs in his system. Or something <laughs> yeah. something yeah. that's just like that doesn't seem to actually address the problem that was happening in the first place like why were cops being called about a counterfeit bill um when i just don't think that would even really happen uh i don't even think it'd be questioned if a white per if the white person was in this situation mm -hmm. i guess right but i think it's kind of interesting that uh that book doesn't talk about mass incarceration and that you point out that we don't really 
uh, look at mass incarceration as a big part of the problem when it comes to race relations. Because like, I didn't even think of it as a problem for a long time either, because it was so easy to just say like, oh, if someone's in prison, it's because they are a criminal, they are bad. Mm. Um, and something that maybe is a little off topic, but it's sort of what, when it changed in my mind, kind of made, helped me understand the problem of incarceration and what it's doing to people. But just the idea that like, if someone was convicted of murder, we call them a murderer. So mm. in our mind, they are consistently murdering all the time. They, right. At any moment, this person could murder you because they are a murderer. Um, and so I'm like, what if, what if we were able to actually say like that person has committed murder and there's a lot of nuances behind that situation. There's a lot of complexities in that individual's life. But in the end, what we want to do is end the violence that that mm. person caused. So we can't combat it with more violence especially right. through this incarceration system that completely dehumanizes people and just perpetuates criminal criminal activity and just like it keeps them down and depressed and just incapable of growth mm -hmm. and uh and it's so sad that learning about mass incarceration for the black community it was so sad to see how not only were we just throwing in innocent people into this system and almost like creating and manufacturing criminals as we understand them, um, but that we uh, we kind of all sat and perpetuated it by thinking, oh, these are criminals, they deserve to be there. Right, yeah, that, that's it. It's the implied um, consent. It's, 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 you know, because a, a lot of, uh, in the new Jim Crow, it talks about how police officers will ask you if they if they can search you right and mm -hmm. and so as as a person sitting on a couch i can be like oh well i would just say no you know you have drugs on you why why wouldn't you say no and it's like well yeah. because you know it's because this is literally a front line of a war and when yeah. police officers pull up onto the curb it, it talks about this in the book uh, in 2010 so i don't know if this is current you know uh but mm -hmm. A, a police officer will pull up onto the curb and these young men will just immediately spread their legs, put their hands on the wall and just wait to be searched. You know, it's, oh, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's, it's like ingrained into Ceremony. the culture there. Yeah, exactly. And so really, really good book, like could not recommend more highly. Uh, and, and then the yeah, other part of that, the, the other part of that too was the um at the the aftermath you know because once you're a felon mm. in so many states most states you can't vote uh you have restricted access to any sort of welfare program um mm. your family you know not to mention the shame that is uh just just you carry forever because like you have yeah. something on your permanent record you know it's not to mention getting a job, uh, securing transportation, right? How are you supposed to get to a yeah. job to wherever you're supposed to work when you can't even qualify for a, a loan for a car? <laughs> it's just... Oh, that kills me. <laughs> it's it's so stupid because we're the whole reason we're putting them in prison is because we're like, hey, you've uh, caused a deficit on society and you now need to pay that back. So once they've paid that back by serving their sentence, you think it should be like, okay, you've done it. The system worked. But instead, it's like, no, you're branded now, and we will not let you progress in society because we're still punishing you for mm -hmm. this thing that you did. Yeah. And that, yeah. oh, that kills me. Yeah, and, you know, I do, I also feel uncomfortable talking about it. I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I'm not mm -hmm. a victim of this. I, mm -hmm. I, I can barely understand it, tell you the truth. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't understand yeah. it. I'm not, you know, but, but we do have to be part of the solution because yeah. it's not their responsibility to fix the issues that we created. No. We, yeah. You know, we have to do it. We have to. I agree. And I, it's like, and so that's kind of, that's the shift that I'm trying to have. Cause I think a lot of people who are resistant to the black lives matter movement, I think they assume that the way that things are going to be fixed, it's like, all right, now we have to do the same thing that white people have been doing to black people for years. We have to flip that and make sure that black people can do that to white people now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that can't be the solution because it's just going to cause the same problems. So we, I, maybe that's not why they're really afraid of it, but I think like everybody knows that that cannot be the solution. And mm. so, and I don't think anyone's really calling for that solution, right? The, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is really just wanting to, to end this inequality. And I think it's up to us as white people to listen and mm. actually help make sure that change happens. And so that's, that's kind of where I'm at, where I want to do what I want to do. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, it, I think, oh man, I lost my train of thought. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. no oh no, but those books though, <laughs> definitely check out those books. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I remember now. Okay, in, in Cast the mm-hmm. Origins of Our Discontent, which is extremely relevant, mm-hmm. you should read it. It's It talks mm-hmm. about the anxiousness of, uh, it, well, it basically explains, because this has been proven by academics, that America has a caste system. And the caste system mm-hmm. is... Uh, intimately tied to race in that oh, yeah. you, you have the dominant caste, which is white, and then you have the lower caste, which is, uh, uh, and then you have the middle caste, which is um, other minority groups like Hispanics, uh, Asians. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have the lower caste, which is uh, blacks. And mm-hmm. uh, it talks about when Obama being elected, you know, that he was not, um, he he wasn't he, he was black, but he uh, due to his like heritage, um, he was a little bit he was he, he could be viewed differently, which is why they a lot of them saw the appeal. And I, I I'm I'm horribly paraphrasing, mm-hmm. you you know. But uh, when he well, was elected, do you kind of mean do you kind of mean that he was just like he was like this perfect epitome of like the system as it is right now, but with a black face, so that it could sort of appear like there's a bigger change happening no no he he wasn't mm. his his family was not from um you know i'm really butchering this but but basically his parentage was was not uh conventional it wasn't that he was uh mm-hmm. um it, it was basically a, a, a technicality that that allowed pe- some some people who are concerned with such things to view him differently than than uh, the the black people that uh, occupy like uh, you know the projects or you know uh, mm-hmm. uh, that that represent a lot of the social issues that have been manufactured to create um, kind of a divide it's between cast. poor whites and mm-hmm. poor blacks, right? So so he didn't mm-hmm. represent that, and 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 honestly, like that family was perfect, like squeaky mm-hmm. clean, like he was like the best candidate for presidency, which is why he won. You know, if there had been any scandal mm-hmm. or anything like that, you know, he would have been, yeah. there's no way. Yeah, he would have been but, scandalized uh, a lot more than anyone else. Right, right. And, you know, that's that's not really, 
my point. The point that I was trying to make is that the backlash of his presidency was that you saw a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear coming from the lowest portion of the dominant caste, like poor whites, mm -hmm. because they saw a minority as president and that threatened them because what's supposed to make them special is that they have a class below them, right? That's mm. where they draw their superiority from. And and the, the book calls that a racial bribe is basically what it is, where, where mm -hmm. it's like, hey, we're, we're going to pay you off. And, and this happened in history as well. Um, uh, originally, uh, blacks and whites weren't enslaved. They worked together as free men in, in the American colonies. And then at some mm. point, they started uh, realizing, hey, maybe we should democratize this and like make something better and so what happened was they said okay well we're going to um treat the whites as superior to the blacks which eventually you know kind of led to slavery and, and uh being adopted by um, all of the colonies um we're gonna and, and we're gonna do that to kind of divide the working class like that was intentional from the beginning and mm -hmm. So you see the, say, uh, the the backlash and the reason that Trump got so much support, uh, according to this book, Cast in the Origins of Our Discontent, is that you, of, of mm -hmm. that anxiety, they are threatened uh, in their position. And so they're they're going to be uh, radicalized in opposition to that. So, so what we're seeing is kind of a fallout from um, that kind of, per, you know, perspective, uh, mm -hmm. which is interesting, you know? I, th I think it's just... Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not sponsored by this book in, in any way, by the way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like it's interesting, though, because it's, it's not very like it's not very explicit. Like if you tried to tell anyone who supported Trump in 2016 that the only reason you're doing that is or not the only reason, but one of the reasons that you're doing that is because you're really experiencing some anxiety from seeing Obama uh, as president, and that is indicative of you losing your position in society to people that you either fear or, uh, you know, hate. Um, because it's like most Trump supporters would never admit that they're racist, right? Right. Um, or, I mean, any of, the, any of those Trump supporters that are racist just wouldn't admit it. Um, so I guess what I'm curious about is... How, how are we really supposed to acknowledge that? Because they, I don't know if there's any way to really prove that that's what's happening. Is there? Um, you know, I, I think it amounts to educating yourself, understanding the issue of, uh, like, you know, like, like reading these books. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm no expert. I, I can't provide a step-by-step -step plan of, of how to not be a racist, but you know, there's definitely books <laughs> out there. <laughs> Like, Damn, I was really hoping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, um, but just just by allying yourself and by kind of calling out um, microaggressions uh, when you see that happening, you know, just just make sure everyone's treated with respect um, is is a good place to start. Why Why does that seem so hard sometimes? I feel like. A lot of, for most of my life, I had been seeing or experiencing, not uh, not like experiencing directly, but I've been uh, seeing other people do or say things that are, that are racist. And maybe I didn't understand at the time, but even now, like when I could, uh, when I see that happen, 
um, it's so hard for me to call people out. Like it's hard for me to stand up and just say like, Hey, that's wrong. I've been working to do better and I have done it a couple of times and it's, it just creates these awkward, intense situations that, you know, I feel like I can now handle, but I couldn't before. And so I wonder how we can really cultivate that, how we can really make sure, help society, um, call out these microaggressions and stuff like that with in a way that we'll actually move on and grow from it because mm -hmm. i guess the thing that i'm i see a lot and that i'm worried about is saying calling someone racist and then silencing them instead of saying hey what you did or what you said was racist i mm -hmm. think like that like i'm not going to accept that um because that gives them the opportunity to grow and change rather than saying, oh, you are a racist now. Everything you do from now on is what a racist person does because you are a racist. Mm -hmm. So I guess I guess that's one of the things that I'm trying to do in order to make a change. But I, in a way, I'm worried that it's not enough. I'm worried that maybe a, a black friend of mine would say, like, wow, you're buddying up with racists. Um, mm -hmm because you're not just completely denying and rejecting them. Um, but I sort, of, I sort of believe that that's how we have to change, is that we have to be able to call out acts and behaviors of racism and systemic racism, systems of racism, mm -hmm. uh, and change those rather than being like, rather than personifying racism and mm -hmm. then just trying to, you know, get rid of that person and being like, Look at that! Racism gone. We're good. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's it's it's. I think it's the same issue as no, not the same issue, but it's a similar issue to uh, the misinformation uh, misinformation campaigns that we're seeing on the internet. Is mm -hmm. you know you try to block them from posting on one platform, they go and create a new platform, and it, you know they. Yeah. It, 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 it seems to foster radicalization rather than... Oh, 100%. Yeah. It causes yeah, like, it to fester. Yeah, we can't chase them out of our public space or our public discourse because they just have their own conversation somewhere else, you know? Like, it's mm -hmm. not like we ended the problem issue there. We just postponed it and yeah. kind of concentrated it. I like that because, I mean, uh, that's something that Joe Rogan will say is he's like, it's like the only way to combat bad speech is with good speech. You have to you have to hear what they're saying so that you can tell them, look, this is where you're wrong. This is where you know you have this misunderstanding. Um, there's this there's actually this Joe Rogan podcast with uh, I think his name's Daryl Davis, and he's this this jazz musician who has converted like hundreds of KKK members and got it and got them to leave the organization. Um, and it sounds amazing. It's like, holy shit, how did you do this? And the bottom line was, is that he befriended them. He got <laughs> to know them. And then when they were talking and saying like messed up shit, he would just call them out and be like, well, actually that's not right. Or like, have you thought about it this way? And that's what changed them. Like he, he's talking about one instance where um, he was in a car with uh, this guy and he was talking about like, oh yeah, um, all black people are criminals. And he's like, well, I'm not a criminal. And he's like, oh, well, you're, you're primed for it. Like you, your genetics make it so that you're more likely to become a criminal. Oh. And then he's, he's like, he's like, okay, uh, I guess he's like, well, then you are more genetically primed to be a serial killer. 
because name a black serial killer. And the guy couldn't do it. And he's like, he's like, oh, so you're a serial killer. He's like, well, no, I'm not. I'm not a serial killer. And he's like, well, you're primed for it. And that, ju that just that flip-flop for the guy just made him realize like, oh, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I, I can't put people in boxes like this and, right. and try and create them in my mind and say that that's what they are. And it's like, that, that's just what we have to do. We have to, we have to see where people are saying things that are stupid or that are just misinformed and ignorant. And we have to show them what that would actually mean and what that actually does mean and what that's causing in society. And then it gives them the opportunity to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love that you said like he befriended them. Like that's the big like shocker, like, whoa, whoa. Right? <laughs> <laughs> It circles back to the whole vegetable conversation. Like, it's simple. Mm -hmm. It's just your vegetables, guys. You just got to eat right? them. Right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I love that because it is simple. It's like, how do you how do you get rid of hate? And it's like, uh, love. It's like, oh, well, that's too simple. No, 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 no. We need, <laughs> we need some more crazy strange eyes. Are you sure it doesn't include bombs? <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, man. Seriously. It's like, we got to throw at least a billion dollars at it maybe then yeah exactly <laughs> and you got to be able to make a billion dollars from it that right. that means it's a good solution that's that's what's valuable in our society speaking of speaking of that mm -hmm. i loved in your last episode when you're talking about um resource-based uh economies yeah yeah resource-based economies and mm -hmm. what i like about that specifically is that it would inevitably lead to geographic um kind of control of the economy right like yeah and, and, and i i think that this is such a difficult concept to explain to people that it's an actual issue but like wealth and value is being siphoned off of our local communities it's being siphoned out oh. yeah. constantly and what a resource-based economy would do is is take uh it would give the control back to the people who live in this on the land and use the land and benefit from using it correctly or, or you know and who understand it fully mm -hmm. exactly yeah yeah and so i you know i i really liked that about your last podcast congratulations yeah. <laughs> thank you <laughs> but uh, i i actually like how you said that because um, I didn't really think of it as giving, as inevitably leading to geographic control. Um, I was just sort of like, oh yeah, it gets rid of this imaginary concept that there can, you know, of money where there's just infinite, make us think that there's infinite resources. It just forces us to realize, oh, the world is finite. We need to act in a way that we are mm -hmm. uh, sustainably cultivating our resources. Um, and then, but that idea that it would sort of um, uh, give that sort of geographic autonomy is cool because I didn't like we think about how if all of these um, resources and the cultivation of these resources are being maintained and controlled by people who just see it as a number or as a product that just mm -hmm. needs to be you know consumed by a specific market um, they just they can't understand fully how to cultivate that they have to rely on all the people in that area cultivating those resources in order to like you said siphon it and then invest it elsewhere mm -hmm. um so that's super cool i like that i'm so glad you listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i well i was listening to a audio audiobook um that 
was basically a compilation of, of uh, texts and uh, data from uh, Noam Chomsky's uh, documentary, uh, Requiem for an American Dream. And mm. there's one discussion in that book that really stuck with me, which is that uh, we're, we're facing a similar issue that the original colonists were with the British Empire, which is mm. uh, basically um, taxation without representation. But mm -hmm. in this case, it's not an ocean that divides us. It's just wealth. Oh, I've heard this before. Oh, you have? Okay, awesome, awesome. It's, I, I just, it, it really just makes you think in terms of uh, class and like, we are the working class and they are them, <laughs> you know, like those mm -hmm. like 40 people, like it, like the, the fun bus, like Russell Brand calls it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like all the richest people in the world. The, the jeweled one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and really, it's just like, they're really far away from us, guys. Like, they don't live with mm -hmm. us. They don't share the yeah. same water that we do. And mm -hmm. you look at the same trees and use the same parks. They're just over there. And they're yeah. as trapped as we are, 100%. Yeah. I think that's the hard thing to see because uh, we're so we're in a society and a culture that really uh, requires us to see them as sort of this pinnacle of being that we should aspire to achieve rather than understanding that they're also trapped within this system and also um, having just having the same or having similar problems mm -hmm. uh, as a result of this system. So maybe we should try to befriend them, you know, like like yeah. the guy you were talking about just say like hey you know i'm not a lazy i don't know i don't know how that conversation yeah. would go but like i don't know either <laughs> but i think it really does have to start with kindness right it really does have to because like it's so easy for me to say like because when i think about capitalism and i like i'm just like oh it, it's so easy for me to get to this point where it's like oh we just need to round up the capitalists and behead them and then all of our problems will go away right but it's not true obviously like it has to use that same template as daryl davis where we have to befriend them and say look you cannot infinitely plunder this world for resources for your own individual gain and you cannot plunder wealth without spreading it to the people that are directly responsible for the wealth that you've accumulated like mm. i feel like if we if we can actually have these conversations with those people that's the only way we can actually change it but the problem is that in order to get into those inner circles you got to be a part of the system that they're in mm. so it the hard part is trying to actually make that conversation happen and organizing our societies in a way that that conversation can happen right absolutely and you have to imagine that these these people that like have these roles of like supreme owner of you know North America, right? Like what, whoever mm -hmm. that like super rich guy is, you you have to imagine that he's like sweating, like he is yeah. so terrified. Like imagine being Jeff Bezos. Like I, oh, oh. my gosh, I would like I, go nuts. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't trust anyone. You you <laughs> every interaction you would have would either be a financial would have to be a financial one because you really couldn't you really couldn't spend time with anyone unless they're on par with you financially and think that they're not just trying to get you, you know, use you for your money. It, when you, he's just got this giant target on his back. Yeah. I cannot imagine what that would be like. Right. And, and Russell Brand talks about how uh, that's part of the reason that the private security industry is so lucrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just because, you know, it's, it's just, 
how do you maintain power by whatever means necessary? I'm going to use my yep. power to just keep it. I'm like a dragon, yeah. like Smaug. <laughs> exactly. And then we uh, influence the uh, the government, the governmental structures to make sure that they are prioritizing maintaining my power and influence because uh, property rights are more important than human rights, huh? <laughs> right, right. Man. Oh, I um, I had I, I I've been thinking about this for like the since since I texted you. I'm not I've, mm -hmm. like I've thought of so many things to talk to you about. Yeah. So many. Um, oh, 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 including okay. What, what was the uh, the paradoxes? The paradox of consciousness. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So. Oh do you, yeah. Do you want to hear about that? I do. I do okay. want to hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, uh, I was trying to reconcile free agency and uh, predetermination. Right. Ooh yeah, a lovely concept. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, and basically, what I figured out. Well, no, the the only thing that made sense to me was that if you have these two fundamentally opposing concepts or, or uh, explanations of existence, that mm -hmm. they have to be the same, and that doesn't make yeah. any yeah it it doesn't make any sense until uh, you think about how uh, until you realize that paradoxes are kind of the fundamental building blocks of of everything of reality yeah. or at, at least of reality as we can see uh, understand it because we are consciousness right yeah and so um i kind of took that thought and i realized that in order for that to work we'd have to remove time as a constant which is mm -hmm. kind of a big leap but the idea well, is mm -hmm. oh well, i was gonna say i think that's a a necessary leap um and i also think uh when we look at like quantum physics and uh just kind of the idea that in reality or with quantum physics we kind of understand that everything is actually all happening at once and then like the collapse of linear time is just us perceiving this individual moment which is uh requiring everything preceding it but when we look at Obviously, I'm no quantum physicist, so I don't fully right. understand it. But like when, you know, the, the double slit experiment and how they kind of understand that we see like the particle is both in two places at a time. And what they kind of conclude from that, at least as far as I understand, is that all potentialities and this all potentialities are existing at, at any time and that the experienced experience is mm -hmm. simply just that one potentiality being manifested right so yeah. i think it, it i think it's possible to transcend that linear time yeah absolutely and it, it's and that there's the paradox right that that mm -hmm. some something requires our participation in order to be actualized or in order for it to be determined right like mm -hmm. we we did determine we are the predeterminism in that scenario right yes <laughs> so uh what i um and and time as a concept like we already or, or time as a constant i should say is is already kind of mm -hmm. debunked because uh you know einstein right uh, the theory of relativity yeah. yeah and so basically i need you to kind of take a journey with me here okay that's fine i'm so <laughs> i'm so excited <laughs> all right so you have to imagine an infinity loop, mm -hmm. right? 
and on either end of this infinity loop, you kind of have the 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 apex of of the curve, right? And so at you have to think that each point at the apex of each of these curves is two ultimately opposing concepts, right? And so mm -hmm. an, illu an illustration of that would be this, I think the easiest illustration, or maybe just the most relevant one is, is the self and the non-self. Mm. The self being anything that's you or something, anything that you can relate to or an extension of yourself. Or identify and, with. Right, right. Yeah, identify with. That's part of your definition. And then the non-self being, generally speaking, everything else, all of mm -hmm. everything, which would be also, if you believe that you have free agency, would be predeterminism, right? Mm -hmm. so, and then um, the thing is, is that at the apex of the, uh, at these curves on either end of the infinity loop, they are the same thing mm -hmm. because they can't actually exist together because the only difference between them is that it, it, there is no difference between them, right? They, they, they require each other to be defined. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Co-origination. Co, uh, co mm -hmm. Now, the reason it's an infinity loop is that as you kind of follow this curve back in towards the center, you are, they're, they're, they're interacting with each other. They begin to influence each other. And mm -hmm. you have to imagine here, it's not two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional, and that the dimensionality of the relationship increases. So mm. you have, because on either end of this infinity loop is the purest form of either thing, which is virtually nothing because they can't exist without each other. Ooh, but, I like that. And, and at the center of this infinity loop is the instantaneous moment that is experienced by consciousness. Ooh, I like that a lot. So, so I guess... Oh, I got to wrap my brain around it though. Um, Cause that sort of that idea that these two things, these two opposites have to exist together um, because they are, you know, the co-origination to mm -hmm. define them. The only, the only way we can define them is by understanding both parts of it. Right. Um, that's something that Alan Watts talks about all the time. Awesome. Um, and so that's kind of how I'm trying to, portray it and understand it in my mind because he always talks about like the nature of black and white um and how black implies white and white implies black because you can never actually have one or the other you always they have to be in tandem in order for you to understand either of them hmm. um so when when you sort of like bring it to uh determinism versus you know free will i like the idea that those two concepts actually engage with each other because they're the same thing mm -hmm. you know uh i guess is that what you're saying yeah yeah and you know you have to be thinking outside of time linear time yeah which is which is really yeah. impossible but it's a good because effort. our brains are constructed <laughs> and co like coordinated by linear time so yeah, it's yeah. pretty hard for us to transcend that right right but so what i what i do is i imagine a collision okay because you have you have the past mm. and the future colliding together mm. and for whatever reason that helps me kind of 
think outside of linear time because time exists. It's not like anything can exist independent of time, especially not consciousness. But mm -hmm. time is more like a, a source of energy, like gravity or uh, not energy, but it's like a force like gravity or um, mm -hmm. it, it's just it's part of the fabric of this relationship. It's not mm -hmm. it doesn't dictate the relationship. Yeah, I think that's definitely like the, the conflation there, right, is that we think that sort of reality is dependent upon time rather than would you say time is dependent upon reality um you know time is dependent as is as much dependent on reality as everything else is you know mm. time time is the same as like a cup it's just a concept it it is only its yeah. relationship to anything else interesting okay i like that it's so, so oh, sorry go on it's sort of just realizing that the lens in which you view reality is also comprised of reality yeah and so it's more of like a yeah. recycling kind of loop Ooh, okay i like that i think that's that's kind of an interesting concept for people uh i think it's easy for us to think that we are observing objective reality rather than us being reality trying to coordinate and construct reality yeah like like we're visitors like mm -hmm. you know i'm a constant i'm not a constant you're not a constant you know no. i like to I, I like to do this with when i'm feeling particularly uh good about myself because you know that's always a problem <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I think about who i was yesterday and i think i have the same relationship with everyone on this planet as i do with the person that i was yesterday yeah like and which is that it's an arbitrary distinction, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a different person today. I'm a different person. Now I'm reborn yeah. every moment. It's, and there's no, and this is why I have a difficult time talking about this or even writing about it is because there's no application. It's more yeah. about a beautiful description of consciousness. And like, mm -hmm. it's not going to change anything, but it feels good to me to have a comprehensive understanding of it, even if even if it's mm -hmm. even if it's a paradox. Like I honestly yeah. enjoy that. Like like the Buddha said, you know, sometimes it's not about the solution; it's about the contemplation. Yeah, I like that, and um, and I, I feel like I have like just had like haunted nights where i've sat there and i'm like oh my god am i is everything determinism like am i really just like controlled by all the molecules and environmental factors around me and there's actually no uh true free will or am i uh, you know or trying to like decide between that mm -hmm. and um it's actually like this show devs that kind of made me rethink that interaction i don't mm. know if you've seen it mm -mm. Um, but the, the concept is just that they, uh, there's this uh, tech company that built this supercomputer that was capable of collecting every like infinite data points and has collected uh, so much data over the history of this universe that it could actually, uh, with complete accuracy, predict the future because it's run on this premise of determinism that everything in the universe uh, is just cause and reaction, uh, cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but essentially there comes to this part where it's like they've viewed the, they've watched the simulation that plays out and they're like, look, because this has collected infinite data points, this is exactly what's going to happen. 
But then by seeing that, be, by viewing that, the protagonist is able to transcend it because they, they, they gain this awareness that like elevates them from that system. And then they, they enact free will and they mm-hmm. make a choice. Um, and huh. so like that show just like fucked me up for a while. Cause mm-hmm. I'm like, man, am I really, is this universe really deterministic or do I actually have free will? And I sort of came to this conclusion of it's both because if, because I'm comprised of all sorts of types of determinism um, that's just beyond my consciousness. I I cannot comprehend all of the things that are occurring in my body right now to make sure that I don't just keel over and die. But every time I gain a level of awareness, I also gain this opportunity to make a choice. Um, And maybe it's still a limited choice that's like still deterministic in some senses, but I do believe that like consciousness actually holds weight that it actually is like this um this collapse of that determinism if that makes sense yeah yeah i i well it's it's what defines determinism because mm. if, if you know the 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 only reason the concept of predeterminism exists is because there's a question that free will exists they define yeah. each other you know they drive each other that's why they yeah. have to be the same thing so yeah. if if predeterminism is all that there is then everything's inevitable but it doesn't mean anything it's it's like saying does anything exist uh yeah yeah i guess so okay (laughs) i like that i I like that that just that conceptualization of it where it's like free if everything is deterministic and then free will is the definition of free will is comprised of that determinism they actually have to be the same thing essentially yeah yeah and like i know a lot of people are going to be dissatisfied with that because mm-hmm. they think in the term in, in that there's no control and there's no way to apply that but mm. for me the paradox proves the the exception proves the rule right the mere and like you said with quantum physics right the what we what Basically, what that demonstrated to me is that there's a blind spot in th- in the idea that everything um, can be measured against a constant. <laughs> like empiricism yes. doesn't always work. There is always mm-hmm. conflicting states of existence that you can't reconcile. And those yeah. things are actually why reality in the universe is so cool. <laughs> I love that. Um, I love that. I also wanted to just kind of because i it it's a really difficult concept to grasp so i i wanted to um bring another kind of illustration which is there was a quote that i read that was um the perfect map of a place is the place itself Mm. and like you were talking about with the devs you know the idea that they created a computer that could perfectly map all probabilities and, and and predict everything right what you're dis- what that means is that the u- the computer has become the universe be- be- because it's the perfect if it's a perfect representation then it's a duplication it's identical oh, okay and so uh because a perfect when, representation can only be perfect if it is that thing yeah yeah because otherwise there are discrepancies 
you know, you're, yeah. you're going to be like, these are different. And so, you know, I'm not saying that it's impossible to create a computer that simulates all of the universe, but if it is possible, then that means that computer simply create that, that the universe is self-perpetuating because it's a part of the universe that it occupies. Oh, that's the, yeah. I love that. That's right. That's actually really cool. Thank you. Thank you. So, and, uh, um, so, you know, to think about it that way, like if a map is a perfect map of a, of a place is the place itself, basically any attempt at explaining or, uh, kind of, drawing a conclusion using using a single constant to draw a conclusion is always going to have a blind spot it's always going to have irregularities or conflicting pieces and I, I think a really good example of that is a black hole mm. have, have you read any or uh, have you watched any of uh, Kurzgesagt's stats videos the little mm -hmm. those, they're those little animated videos that talk about like what would happen if the sun went out or the earth stopped rotating it, it you should definitely check it out it's like right in your wheelhouse uh okay i'll, I'll say what was it called again uh oh, okay. it's it's difficult to um pronounce i'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly yeah but, send me a link <laughs> okay cool so the uh, a black hole which i see is like a blind spot of space and time because mm -hmm. as you know it once you pass the um singularity oh my gosh i totally blanked on the term um, uh, the event horizon, once you pass the event horizon, uh, the gravity is so strong that light gets sucked into the black, the, even if something's traveling at the speed of light, it can't escape the gravitational pull of a black hole. And so, uh, the reason that that's, uh, you know, that's why a lot of people talk about black holes being like a wormhole, like a portal to another dimension, because mm -hmm. basically how do you have the law of conservation of energy? when you also have this enormous sucking thing that destroys everything that it that that it comes into contact with and wow. there's basically three theories of what happens to the information that a black hole consumes uh the first one is that it's destroyed which mm. is like you know all right boring right <laughs> 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 The second one is that it's somehow stored in a, think of it as like a hard, an encrypted hard drive where, where it's mm -hmm. there, but like you can never, ever access it ever. And there's no way to get it. It's, it's essentially destroyed, but, but, uh, stored. And then the third theory that the Kurzgesagt video, um, explained was that you have to imagine a room and you're putting all of this stuff into this room eventually it's going to be full and you won't be able to put any more stuff into it a black hole because of its strong gravitational pull will continue putting stuff into the room it'll compress the stuff so much that the atomic structure of the matter uh becomes uh it disincorporates and and it, it it becomes not what it is and and then and then some like it continues compressing it down and so the, but the information is, this is the third theory, the information that is consumed by this black hole is conserved in a new, it's basically transformed and it's in a holographic state. So it's, it's compressed from a three dimensional state into a two dimensional state along the surface of this black hole. 
Holy shit. So what, and what's cool about that is that you're, you're basically breaking the laws of phys. It, it's, it's, it's that blind spot I was telling you about, you know, it's, it's basically a breakdown of our understanding of how the universe works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I That's see, I, I, I see the same thing. Like I see a relationship between black holes and uh, quantum physics because at either end, you're like, here's all that we know. And at the end of either of these things, the biggest, most impactful things in the universe, like it's a, a black hole is at the center of our galaxy, like we're revolving around it now. And then quantum physics, the smallest things that can exist that we know and understand, they're both breaking the rules. They're both paradoxical. Wow. Man. Okay. That's sorry. That's like blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm one, one thing that I kind of thought, and maybe it's, maybe it's not really in that same sphere, but like all of this information, all of this stuff, I guess, that's getting collected within this black hole. And if it is really being transformed or, you know, pressed into this smaller space, could that potentially be that the dense what we understand is like the dense hot state of matter that preceded the big bang. Is that kind of, is that like possibly the rebirth, the birth of a new universe or are those like separate things? Um, I just think that, you know, we, we have our senses like mainly, uh, uh electromagnetic energy, right? Like light and sound mm-hmm. and uh, all of that. And I, I think that we're just exploring the limitations of that, you know, like we, we mm. only have the tools that we have. I don't think yeah. that's the limit of our universe. I don't think there is a limit to our universe. Yeah. Uh, it's just, um, it, it's, it's just the blind spot. You know, we all have one. It's yeah. just there. And, and I, I think it's all the more beautiful for that reason. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because it's, there's like infinite experiences to discover. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. And in the last episode you talked about where, where you were saying how, um, why, why multi, uh, why have multiple universes? Why have multiple dimensions? Why can't there be everything existing in the same universe? Yeah. Well, if, if a universe exists independent of time or if time is not a constant, that that's true. You basically have Murphy's law crisscrossing throughout everything backwards and forwards and sideways and up and down like murphy's law can exist it's just because we're traveling and the best way to describe that is um you know how in physics class they teach you like you're on a train you throw a ball up in the air the ball looks like it's only going up and down but to somebody standing off the train also going 60 miles per hour yeah 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 relative motion Mm -hmm. right yeah that's all that that is just um Mm -hmm. and that's that's a simple enough concept to understand but but yeah that's that's what we're experiencing is like everything seems inevitable and everything seems constant because we're all traveling at the same speed if we were if we were traveling in time backwards man everything would look totally different oh dude that's insane Right. Oh, that's cool. We're all just having sort of a consistent experience of time, and that's what's called, that's what's creating this singular experience, rather than uh, that. Like I was trying to describe, just like infinite everything happening all at once. Right. Like parallel universes. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, parallel universes. Let's talk about like perpendicular universes. You know, like <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> you know, like why? What? Why does everything have to be traveling the same direction? I think that's a really, really common like assumption that everyone makes. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, and so that's why it's kind of hard to grasp these the, these concepts of just like all things happening at once as infinite potentialities because we really are only capable of understanding or perceiving uh, this linear experience. Yeah, and you know, there's no application to that. Like, I'm, you're not going to save the world being like, hey, man, like, <laughs> there could be a person traveling, like, perpendicular to us in time. <laughs> but yeah, but, but it's, I think it's beautiful. There's some beauty it is to beautiful. it. And it really, like, by, by increasing that perspective, it allows us the opportunity to increase perspectives in more places in our lives. I in our lives. So that that's kind of what I that's why I like talking about these these big abstract concepts because even though it's not practical and I can't go and change the world with it, it's just helping me practice taking on a new perspective and understanding that like there is more outside of my immediate experience and that I can draw from that to right. actually make meaningful changes in our lives. Absolutely. And, you know, like you, we, we, we talked about a lot of social issues here and mm -hmm. they seem insurmountable. They seem ridiculous to try and, and combat as an individual. Yeah. But that's like the tip of the iceberg. Social issues with beings that are I, essentially identical to us. Like, let's talk yeah. about like, let's, let's talk about living in a way where your consciousness expands to the size of the universe or let's talk about <laughs> yeah <laughs> experiencing time backwards you know because those are all also constructs that we've yeah. created and if our like russell brand says if my reality is a construct and i can change it if it's not conducive to my well-being mm -hmm. you know yeah and i i like how you say that because like by putting it in that perspective of like it, it makes those social issues more manageable mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's just we're you know, and and I I think that we are all the same person. Kurzgestatt did a did an episode about uh, the egg, which you should watch that right after we're done here because uh -huh. <laughs> it, it oh my god it's it is one of the most beautiful YouTube videos I've ever seen, and I've seen some nice. some, some good ones. Um, and <laughs> it, it, basically, it talks about reincarnation into the past, so a person can mm. die and be reincarnated as like. The, 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 the example they use is, is a, a Chinese woman uh, who's also a rice farmer. Like mm -hmm. this guy in America dies, is reincarnated in the past. And the idea is that the same entity, the same consciousness is reincarnated into every single person that's mm. ever existed. I like that. And not yeah. just... And, and in a way, it's, it sort of doesn't even have to be reincarnated into human consciousness, but it would be reincarnated into every level of consciousness, right? Yeah, yeah. Even I mean, maybe the experience of being a rock. Yeah, yeah. The video doesn't take it that far. But like I said, if you, if you take time as what it is, which is just a relationship between things, you could mm. be a rock. Or you could be an – I like to think that, like, you could be an entire species, right? All at once. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Because DNA, man, it's all just information. It's, mm -hmm. you know, like, and DNA still weirds me out sometimes. Like, yeah. you ever think about DNA and just think, like, 
this is just code for who I am and yeah. how I am. Yeah. Uh, and how I <laughs> am programmed to respond to my environment. <laughs> yeah. It is super weird. That it's just like a collection of, and it's like, especially that it's just like a collection of the same, like what, four molecules or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Gattaca. Uh, amino acids. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Proteins. But yeah, like, because I can, it's it's pretty easy for me like when i read about early earth and like the creation of life or, or you know theories on how life was created um or not created but you know mm -hmm. how it happened it's easy for me to think that like okay yeah like um protein fragments and like amino acids formed and like those could have bonded together and those could have started self-perpetuating but dna is where I, that's where I think that like maybe aliens were involved. <laughs> because <laughs> cause like how, how does DNA how do get just, this code? yeah, form, man. Like millions of data points. I, that, that's the one thing, but you know, I probably just lost all credibility to our audience here. Sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> aliens, aliens have to have some part in this story of the universe. They got it. We are aliens. To, you we know. are a type of alien. We have to be. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Dude, I think we'll, we'll probably cut it off here. Um, thank you so much, man. This has been amazing. Uh, it's going to happen more often, 100%. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I really appreciate you reaching out to uh, set this up because um, I've loved it. Well, thank you. You inspired me. That's why I wanted to do this. You're an inspiration. Hell yeah. Thank you, man. All right. <laughs>